0: Um, we've been we've been talking about just as a just a quick recap, not not too long today, how God has wanted to always bless mankind. I'm on uh, yeah we go. Yeah, God has God has always wanted to bless mankind. Let me see. Sorry, let me just get this right so I know where I'm And we come up with this kind of um, the definition of blessing based on, the, based on the early passages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, it was to fill, to be fruitful, and to multiply. And God's original intention was that he would bless humankind, that we would all live in the blessing of God, and that we would partner with God in the blessing in the rest of creation. But what we found is that humankind has been tempted to seek a false blessing, yeah, a false abundance, and it eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, rather than blessing multiplying around the earth, we kind of move and step outside of the blessing of God to receive a false blessing. And unfortunately, what we do is we multiply curse more than we multiply blessing. We multiply sin rather than multiply the goodness of God. This pattern basically goes right through the Old Testament. So what I think is really important for us to think about as 21st century human beings is that material possessions which we find in the Bible are both, right, this is, this is the tension that we have to walk in, they're both a blessing that God has created for mankind to enjoy and they're simultaneously the primary way that our hearts are seduced away from the blessing of God, all right? So it's not that we can't enjoy the blessing of God because we were blessed So material possessions can be one way that we enjoy that blessing, but they also very easily can become the primary way that we get seduced away from living in the blessing of God. They can often and always, often do steal our hearts as well. And yet, in the midst of this kind of story that gets chaotic and sin starts to ravish the earth and multiply through the earth, God still wants to bless the world. God still has a plan of blessing that he wants to see happen. And, and throughout the story of the Bible, um, beginning then uh, uh, at, e, at Abraham, I guess in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God says to him that I want to bless you. That through you all the nations will be blessed. And from this point on, we see it's like a river that runs through the Bible, through the whole story. There's this kind of thread that God still wants to bless the world, right? So even though mankind has chosen a false blessing, God is still trying to seed the original blessing, the seed of Eden, into the heart of a man and and a woman, Abraham and Sarah together, so that through them all the nations will be blessed. At times throughout the Old Testament and the rest of the story as it unfolds, Abraham's descendants. Feels like this river of blessing, it's almost going off course. Sometimes it almost feels like it's completely dried up because of Israel's consistent rebellion. But Jesus then comes to fulfill where Israel has failed, and he comes to show us, if you like, the full force of the river of blessing, right? So he comes to show us what a blessed life looks like. He walks around in the blessing of the Father. He tells us what it looks like to be truly blessed. That's what the Sermon of the Mount is all about. And what we've learned is that Jesus actually, more than all of that, even he shows us what a blessed life looks like. But he also goes to the point of the cross, which we've remembered in communion this morning, to actually deal with all the effects of the curse. And so in dealing with all of the effects of the curse of sin, Jesus opens us up to all the original blessings that we can now have in Christ. And we, we move into the fullness of it. And as Jesus lived his life, he formed a community around him. He, he partnered with his disciples. He invited them into a story. And in doing that, what Jesus was revealing was what God has always wanted. God has always wanted a family, a community that would steward his blessings to fill the earth. And so Jesus isn't, it's just not like a nice wee story that he picked a few disciples to help him out. But actually the disciples were, were a, a, a an expression of what God has always wanted, a family that would be his, that through that family, because God is family, that an expression of that on the earth in order to fill the earth with his blessing. And um, in one sense, so in one sense you could say it like this, Jesus came to do what only Jesus could do. We know that Jesus was unique, okay? So there's things that Jesus came to do that only he could do. But he also came to show us what he wanted us to do with him. And that's what we see in um, his uh, relationship with the disciples. Jesus was showing us the community that he always wanted to form, that God always wanted to form, in order to fill the earth with the blessing of God. Let, let me say it like this. Um, through Jesus, the kingdom of God, which is what we call God's dynamic reign or rule, has broken into history in a new and decisive way. Right? When Jesus came, the kingdom of God had come in a new way. Jesus' life and his formation of a community around him reveals God's intention to create a new community who model in the present what God intends for all humanity and what he will one day perfectly create in the future. Right? When we get to heaven, we're not going to be just a bunch of random isolated individuals like are living in our little kind of 2.4 kind of children kind of house with like barriers up. And (laughs) we're going to live... And somehow, and some expression of who God is, which is community and family. And what happened in Jesus, the kingdom had come. It is not fully yet, but it was a foretaste of the age which is to come. And so the church is not a club, if you like, of Christians that retreat from the world, but actually a community that are a foretaste of the community and the way we will live forever. And we start to model that now. And so the way we one of the primary ways we model that is how we steward blessing in and through the earth, and and Jesus was giving his disciples glimpses of this, and I know we've referenced it so many times, but uh, throughout the series, but it's it's worth it again just because the parable or not the parable, the story of the uh, feeding of the five thousand re- really gets to the heart of this because Jesus was showing the disciples when they came to them and said, everybody's hungry, we need to send them all home. Jesus said to them, you feed them. It was like an invitation into what it is to steward the abundance of heaven, to feed thousands. And Jesus said, you feed them. Like us? We don't even have anything to start with. And Jesus says, no, but well, what do you have? Start with what you do have. And so they bring what they can find, which is five loaves and two fishes. And as I said last week, this, this has really caught me even last week again. Um, what does Jesus do with, the, with the, the, what looks like in the natural, the meager resources? He, he blesses them. He holds them up. He holds the five loaves and two fish up to heaven, up before the Father. And he blesses what looks like a meager sacrifice or a meager uh, offering. But with what we can give, Jesus takes and feeds the multitudes with. And it's not even that Jesus feeds them; It's like the disciples feed him. Like imagine, like you shouldn't meditate on this this week. Just imagine you were like, you took the bread that Jesus had just blessed before the Father and you started breaking it off and feeding people and it just didn't run out in your hand. Like, just, just imagine that. Just imagine being part of it. And then imagine, like, not only did we feed everyone, but there was 12 baskets full over. This, this is the life of abundance that Jesus asks us into. But we can only enter into it when we, when we surrender. It's radical sacrifice or surrender leads us to increased authority in the kingdom. And therefore, the potential for an abundant overflow of blessing in your life. It's only when you bring what you have, broken and as meager as it feels, offer it before Jesus. He takes what we bring Him in all of our brokenness, in all of our limitations. He blesses it and holds it up before the Father. And then somehow, as He gives it back to the world, it just multiplies into an incredible abundance. It's, beautiful. it's the gospel, isn't it? It is a beautiful story, and it's what we're invited into. We bring who we are to Jesus. He holds it up before the Father. He blesses it, even in its, in its little, and, and it multiplies to feed, to feed many. But we, so we have to, but we have to surrender. We have to come uh, sacrificially, giving of ourselves, relinquishing control, giving ourselves up, and Jesus takes us and lets us bless many. Now, what we, what we got to last week was the fact that the early church somehow got this eventually. <laughs> Jesus had schooled these disciples for three years. They're, 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 they're still very much a work in progress, but the Spirit comes upon them after Pentecost. And what we see is he moves upon them in such a radical way that they create this community that looks like the community that is to come. I'm just going to read this again for for for. For emphasis, and we read this last week, all the believers, this is a picture of the early church in Acts chapter 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons amongst them. That is just the most amazing thing. Imagine living and being part of a community where there's no needy persons amongst them. As I said last week, and I want to say it again, I am living for more signs of the supernatural. I want to see more salvation. I want to see more healing. I want to see more deliverance. I want to see all of that stuff, the power of God breaking out. But if we can create a community where it is known and is testified about that there were no needy persons amongst them, in a context that we're living in where the need is desperate, then that will be a miracle. That will be supernatural. And that's what I want to give my life for. That's the kind of community I want to be part of. That's the kind of community I want to serve. That's the kind of community I want to bring my kids up in where well, there's no haves and halves nots where well, there's no kind of rich and poor And that, in that sense. that somehow the table of the Lord Jesus levels us all. And somehow we learn how to steward the blessing of God that we look like this community that we're going to live in forever and ever. I hope we don't think that heaven's going to be a place of inequality. I hope we don't think that heaven's going to be a place where God has the elites and his favorites. I hope we don't think that heaven's going to be a place where there's going to be special seats for special people. I hope we realize that the the community that we're going to live in it, we're going to be all just leveled by the grace of God in such a glorious way that we will become brothers and sisters of Christ in, in beautiful, deep, and amazing ways. People from every tribe and tongue and nation. And, 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 and that's the community that God wants us to give our hearts and our lives to. And the people looked in on this church in the early church days and they, they saw something otherworldly. You know, and they saw something that was not from this world in a sense. <laughs> And that's why everybody wanted in. That's why they grew so much, because people were curious about how they lived. And so to become a a spirit-filled, radically generous community is what the Lord is calling us to do. And that that will stir up a certain level of discomfort, (laughs) radical hospitality, radical generosity. It, It pushes us out of 21st century consumeristic comfort zones, doesn't it? And, uh, but I'm so thankful to be part of a community where I see this playing out already in lovely ways. But I just think the Lord wants to continue to speak to us. The, the Apostle Paul speaks um, about this even further as we, as we go deeper into this today. He, he says that, look at this in Ephesians 1, I'd love to take time to read the whole passages, but just I'm picking out the verses here so you get the picture. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So, what do we learn about blessing? It's about filling, being fruitful, and multiplying. Now, because Jesus has came, died, dealt with the sin and the curse of the world, been raised up. Now we're saying he's the head of the church, and he wants to fill. He wants to, in other words, he wants to bless the whole world. He wants to fill it all. And how how is he doing this? Through through his church, you go you go on a couple more paths. Uh, 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 chapters and in Ephesians chapter 4 it says that he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe so it doesn't it doesn't say in order to fill the church it says in order to fill the universe and if you read that passage on it would tell you how he's going to do that. And so the next verse is he gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Right, He gives gifts to the church because the way God wants to fill the universe is through the church. And so we are being called to understand the economics of the kingdom of God, which are radically different than the economics and the politics of the kingdoms of this world, in order to fill the universe with the blessing of God. And, uh, and so that's why we pray, Lord, in Portadown or in this area, as in heaven, fill it with the blessing and the favor and the goodness of God. But I guess we can only do that if we move in the economy of the kingdom, if we surrender. The entry point to the kingdom of God is surrender. The entry point to the economics of the kingdom of God is surrender. And so it's hard, though. Because as I've referenced already, it's the opposite to the way this world works. On the one hand, we're being told everything's kind of scur- scarce and poor and lack, and, and that's true. and We need to like, understand what's going on there for people in the real world, if that's the way to put it. And yet on the other hand, we're being kind of bombarded with all these advertisements about being encouraged to build a perfect life, to kind of hoard and to keep and to build your own little empire. And so we have to fight back against these trends in our society to allow the Spirit to teach us, and I hope that's what the Lord's been doing over the last number of weeks. It's like he's teaching us, he's writing on our hearts a new way of understanding the dynamics of the kingdom of God. And one of the main ways that we express our understanding of the dynamics of the kingdom of God, and this is where it gets interesting, is through our money and through how we use our money and through how we spend our money. I was really wanted to talk about money in this theme because Jesus talks about the a lot. Um, and um, we love Jesus and we love the things that Jesus says. But I was really keen that it didn't look like just another standard talk on money because we're trying to get everybody to tithe more or something like that. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't want that to be the motivation. That's why I've, we've taken almost two months to talk about the wider theme of stewardship and blessing throughout the scripture of which money is one part. But what we're trying to get at is build a bigger and wider biblical, I think, paradigm of what our original design was to be people that steward blessing. And so we want our conversation to be much more than just simply how do we somehow guilt people into giving a 10% or something, if that's your usual chat that you've had about money in church, to think about how do you actually steward the 100%. So I, I want to teach my kids how to, you know, <clears throat> how, the principle, which we'll get to, which is what God was doing. Of, how to give a percentage, but I'd rather teach them how to steward it all. What's your values and your practices around that? And what we see, and what I've become actually even more impressed upon my heart as I've studied for this is money is often a test case of what is going on in your heart. I think that's what Jesus usually gets at with it. So where our money goes, how we spend it, how we value it, shows and reveals what our values are and our priorities are, and what we're truly living for. But if we can get a handle on how we do this, I think we can change the world. So back in 1992, a, a, a company called Ronsville & Ronville did some research. And they showed that theoretically, this was back in 1982, theoretically they discovered that if, they must have done the research in America, that if all Americans tithed, they could probably have eradicated world poverty. Just if every American tithed. So, <clears throat> now obviously that doesn't take into account the fact that governments are corrupt and there's all sorts of like um, selfishness in governance and complicated political systems that even if they did do that, that might not happen. But it makes the point, doesn't it, that if we, if we just learned to steward well, we could do something about the world. I was, um, was kind of taken by, um, oh, Johnny, can you put that picture up you got for me now? Um, yeah, I saw this this week, I don't know if you saw this. So Mackenzie Scott, who was, um, I think, married to, like, the guy that owned Amazon. What do you call him, Bezo or Bezos or whatever you call him, him right? He, uh, she was married to him. But this, this week she gave a donation to Habitat. Now, apparently she's worth, like, 50 billion or something, right? She gave a, 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 a gift to Habitat for Humanity in the States for 436 million pounds. Now, part of me goes like that, you know. Wow. Now, the cynic in us all goes, well, you've obviously got it to give, you know, to, you know, which, which she does. And particularly, if you're, you know, we, we love a bit of that kind of like thing, attitude in Northern Ireland, don't we? Like, you know, well, bully for you, all of that, right? <laughs> but first and foremost, right, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. First and foremost, she give it. Secondly, what, I, what I'm thinking about, that kind of money's out there. Now, thank God, something in our heart has been arrested by the thought of building houses for people that don't have them. Something in her heart has been arrested about the thought of, you know, now, we could all judge and have a conversation about what our motives really were, da-da-da, right? Ultimately, she's she's given it. My my passion is, like, what what if we could steward those amounts of money as the church for the kingdom of God? What, what, What if we learned how... So if we really want to see God change the world, and we believe that Jesus, in the, Jesus uh, in the parable or in the story of the 5,000 reveals to us that God's not broke. The disconnect, I think, is a church, generally speaking, that hasn't learned how to steward money well. Hasn't learned how the uh, economy of the kingdom works. Now, I'm just saying that to provoke our thoughts a little bit. If we go back, could you go back to the mammon slide? God says a lot in the Bible about mammon. And money. And so we're just going to say a couple of headlines here before I say a few things about tithing, and then we'll pick up the rest of it next week. Uh, god says a few things about money. On one hand, He really, really goes heavy on the dangers of money. In fact, He talks about a thing called mammon. And mammon is almost like a personification of money, it's like a demon or a false god. And He sets mammon up as the rival of God in, in the New Testament. So we see this in the rich young ruler, how it's not so much the rich young ruler uh, is challenged to give up everything he has and serve the poor because Jesus realizes he doesn't own all that he has. It owns him. It owns him. This God called mammon is owning him and God wants him free from that because he's not living into the fullness of who he is. And so... um, and so that—that's why that's why Jesus warns against it. But equally, there's a passage. I'll, I'll not read it. Uh, the next verse, uh, oh, or sorry, First Timothy. Let me say that too. First Timothy six: For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so these are these are the pitfalls and the dangers of becoming obsessed in our hearts. Our hearts being too attached to money. But, but equally, Jesus knew that money could be put to good use. We see here um, in Luke chapter 8, after this, Jesus traveled about from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others, look, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here we have a couple of relatively wealthy women who are funding Jesus' ministry, right? So so, so the women are working hard on Mother's Day, right, (laughs) to help fund the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus knew that this could be put to good work. So it seems to me that it's not money itself that it's a problem, but it's the attachment of your heart towards it that is the problem, yeah? It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so more than, even more than this, so this is where I want to go today and uh, get, get you thinking about this so we can pick it up more next week, is Jesus says, I'm forgetting all the slides that I have already done. Jesus says, therefore, like check this verse out, this is powerful. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It seems that the way we handle money will lead us in the true riches. True, true riches, though, is not more money. <laughs> True riches is being caught up in the heart of God. True riches is being caught up in the ecstasy of knowing the depths of the glory of Jesus and working in the things of his kingdom and manifesting an authority in your life to bring true breakthrough to see God move in people's lives. People who don't learn to give to God or give back to God will always, I believe, hit a ceiling in their level of a kingdom authority. There's there's a point that they won't get paid. Now, you have to make a decision whether you love God enough or whether you feel like God's working in your life to to want that kingdom authority. But if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, there's something about, I think, how we handle our money that um, increases the level of authority on our life. It's like a test that Jesus brings us through. Um, And I I think I could prove that to you, uh, although I couldn't because it would probably be confidential. But but behind every person of great influence in the kingdom, I think what you would see is a generosity in the way they handle their money. If you were to look at the figures, the way they give, who they give to and how they give, I think that would back up why they've got the level of influence they have in the kingdom. There's a great story from the guy who wrote uh, Purpose-driven life. Anybody re- read that book? Purpose, purpose-driven life. A guy called Rick Warren. I haven't read it all, to be honest. I think it's a decent enough book. Um, it's probably not the best book that's ever been written in the world, but it is the book that has sold more copies outside the Bible in the Western world ever. And so, talking to uh, Rick. Well, talking to Rick Warren <laughs> sounds like I was. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I was. I heard him speak, <laughs> um, uh, uh, and uh, he was on a call with leaders me and Rick, you know, of speed, <laughs> speed dial. Um, uh, he, uh, he was talking to a bunch of leaders, and um, he said, uh, he told a story saying that, the back, so the backstory story that, when, when you write the book that sells more copies than any other book outside the Bible in the Western world, that makes you a lot of money. So he was telling us the backstory to that, that when he got married 30 years or so, 25 years before he wrote the book, that he decided with his wife without telling anybody that they would not just tithe but every year they would increase their tithing by 1% at least every year. So no matter what came in and what was going on in their lives not necessarily the top line figure but whatever it was they would increase the percentage of their giving 1% every year. So he did that for 25 years which got them up to like something like 30 to 40% of their what came in they were giving back to God or given to things that they felt God had led them to give to. So when he wrote the book and made an awful lot of money out of the book, he decided that as the royalties came in, he'd already done something in his heart. He'd already a practice and a discipline established in his heart. So he added up what the church had paid him over 25 years and gave it all back and then decided to work out a way to live off 10% and so we now, is what's called reverse tithes, tithes. So he volunteers for the church as their senior pastor, and he lives off 10% and gives 90 back, to the Lord, as well as adding up everything he'd ever earned to give it back to the church. He says, um, you're sitting listening to this going, you know, well, if I had that money, I would give it too. And he has this little thing, Now you wouldn't. Because if you're not doing it now, you wouldn't do it then. And he said, thus very humbly, the only reason I think God allowed me to write that book is because he knew what to do with the money. Because for 25, 30 years without ever telling any money, he had an established practice about how he stewarded and how he blessed others through how he handled his finance. What we do with our money, I believe, determines is hugely influential in the amount of influence we have for God in the kingdom. The whole way we frame this series, remember, is what are you gonna do with what you have been given? We can apply the parable of the talents in lots of different ways, can't we? But ultimately, it's it's about it's about something that's of monetary value that the master gives the servants. And it's like, what are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna steward our money well? Um, and there's, there's three things that are going to segue between this week and next week. And the first one is, and I'm just going to start this for five minutes, if that's okay. You all still with me? Yeah, good. Um, just for five minutes, just give you some of the background. First, the first way we steward our money well, there's three ways, I'm not going to do them all this morning. We give to God, we give to one another, and we give to the poor. I think that's how we steward our money well, right? And, and, we, and we spend it wisely. Remember, keep remembering. This is this is not a this is. There's no guilt here. If you walk out feeling guilty, then you haven't heard me right today, right? I hope you feel challenged because I do, right? Because we we all want to grow in our love for Jesus, and there's just something about that 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 um, that that we see in the Scripture that that challenge because the world that we live in it just naturally is the, water, the air that we breathe and the water that we swim in. And but the first way that we can do this is we give back to God, and um, and so. This is sometimes in the, in the Old Testament called, called tithing. And tithing was a practice. Maybe you have no radar for this at all. Um, you know, the thought of like even giving money in the church just sounds completely weird for you and all of that kind of thing. Or giving back to God. What's all that about? That's totally fine if that's um, where, where you're at. But we just want to help disciple you in those ways. But the law was given generally of which tithing was part to help the nation of Israel learn how to establish them as a community based on justice and liberty and the obedience of Israel to the law would therefore enlighten the nations because God remember it's all in the context God wants to bless the descendants of Abram so that they will be a blessing to the world right so the law is given as a way to help these former slaves who don't know how to do life properly how to live in a a, a community based on liberty and justice and their obedience would hopefully be a light to the nations they were like building blocks that God put into place to help them understand the love of God and how the love of God should be both a vertical thing and a horizontal thing love the Lord your God with all your heart you know all the commandments the vertical ones and then like by the way don't murder don't don't steal you know don't be don't covet don't do that. so it's 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 it's, it's uh based on love and on sacrificial love, and Jesus would come to fulfill that so I like to think that somebody explained it to me like this once and I always think it's really good if you're teaching your kids language you start with the ABCs don't you the ABCs get them the the, the structure of how language works and you teach them some elementary words but then you want them to grow up and become fluent in that language the Torah or the Law is a bit like the ABCs of the love of God. Jesus would come and fulfill that. so Jesus would say i've I heard you say you 've heard it said you know an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you love your, love your enemy turn the, yeah and so when it comes to, when it comes to tithing, this was just an elementary way to help the children of Israel begin to understand. That everything that they had had come from God. And if there wasn't some discipline in their life to help them recognize that everything had come from God, then their hearts would be stolen by that. They would become entitled and selfish and they'd practically end up eating themselves. And so God gives them this particular law. And so the stipulations were being given to the children of Israel to enjoy the blessing. God was, this is the point. God was going to give them a land. And if you go through the Old Testament, they're all going to get their own wee plot. They're all going to get a part of the land to live in, to be blessed and to enjoy those blessings. But God also knew that the propensity of their hearts was towards selfishness. And so he puts lots of regulations in place to help them realize that they and to help them not abuse the privilege and the blessing that God had for them. So that there would be enough for them, but that there would be enough for everybody. And that's why we see laws like we see. And so God says to the children of Israel, I want to teach you how to, how to tithe from the land. The Leviticus chapter 27, a tithe from the land, whether grain or from the soil or from fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. It is, is to be, it's to be the, It's a recognition that everything we have, God doesn't need it. But it's, it's for our hearts to recognize that everything that we have and every breath in our bodies is from God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it's the same. Um, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. If God wanted his people to understand how to steward blessing, it started with an understanding that everything they had came from him. So the practice of a tenth of the first of everything was a simple discipline to teach them how to recognize God was your source. It was like drawing them in. It was a discipline that drew them in to the economy of heaven and to the horizontal and vertical thing that we've been talking about a lot. Because if they didn't, they would end up destroying themselves. And practically, it helped fund the sacrificial system, which is where Israel gathered their whole worship around and kept their eyes focused on him. Tithing would therefore release blessing in their lives. It would draw them into the economy of God. It was like saying, if you don't do this, what you're actually saying is, I trust myself with my money more than I trust God with it. Yeah? It's when we don't do that, it's like, I'd rather be in control of that and work out how it's all going to be used, rather than trusting God now I I know there's a lot of sensitivities with with this particularly you know if you haven't heard of it before and particularly sometimes we you know not everybody necessarily in our home gets it and we're trying to work out the dynamics of all of that and I want to be really really sensitive to that all I'm just trying to do is just to be faithful to the scriptures to bring through an understanding of what how I think because I I, honestly right in one way this is going to come out the wrong way. so i'll think about it again right um in one way i'm not really i'm not really interested in about the amount in some ways although although i am because but what i'm getting at more is I'm more interested in you living in the blessing of god i want i want you to, as a pastor in this house my hope my, my hope is that you can live in the fullness of the blessing you can enjoy the blessing of god guilt-free But what I find from the Scriptures it works completely opposite to the way the world works. That it's what, what we sow. And when we give, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so when we handle those well, we actually grow in authority in the kingdom, in our money in terms of what we steward, but in every other way as well, in the true riches of the kingdom of God. And so we enter into a flow, it's like, it's like set into the fabric of creation, the way God has designed the world. And when we, when we learn how to practice that discipline, we enter into that flow and that pattern, and we live in the blessing of God. And, and I'm going to finish with this, I'll finish with this verse, um, Malachi chapter 3. And it's, it's actually quite a harsh rebuke, because the children of Israel had stopped doing that. And so Malachi is one of the prophets, and he's challenging the people. You're not experiencing the blessing of God because holding it all for yourself. And this is what it says. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of many. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, here's how you're robbing me. In your tithes and offerings. You're not giving. You've stepped out of the flow. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, God says. It's the one area in in Scripture that God's kind of going, do you want to have a wee bit of fun with this? Test me. God was doing like money back guarantees before that was even a thing. He's like, test me in this. Rick Warren said that. I felt like when I was young, the Lord said to me, you give to me and I'll give to you and we'll see who wins. And, and there's, something, there's something about the economy of God. And so God says to children, test me in this. And, um, and see if I not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that there will not be room enough to store it. So God is re- rebuking the children of Israel here, but he's also saying, here, I want you to remember, I don't need your money. I just want to pour a blessing on you. I want I want to bless your heart. I want I want you to understand what it is to live in the flow of the blessing of God. Because if you can get it, then you can overflow with abundance. And so our whole reason for teaching in this, it's a very missional reason. It's, it's, it's a discipleship reason. We want all of you as individuals and as families to grow in authority and our understanding of the kingdom and to see the blessing of God in your finances. It's that. But it's very missional in its motive. It's because we're about to move building over the next year or so. And we want to steward blessing in this area. We want we to want we, we find ways that we can give even more. That we can give even more to fill the need, to fill the broken places, to, to to see the blessing of God come in our town, and so it's. But it starts with the parable. Of the, it starts with what have you been given, and what are we going to do with what we've been given, and um and I can only I'll i maybe reference it. It's always a bit um, risky when you talk about these things personally, but in some ways we've only got our own our own stories and um and. And I've just, that's my, that's my testimony. When, when, when Rachel and I got married and we sat down and uh, we did the spreadsheet and like that just became top line. That was top line. So here's what comes in. Here's what goes out. And that was, that was top line. This is what goes out. And, and, and then inspired by people like Rick Warren, it's like, can we do that? Will, will we go for that? Will we try and do this every? And so even when Rich we was self-employed, she went to maternity, and you were like, "Oh, there's not as so much coming in, right? We're not necessarily given as much in terms of the value, but the percentage-wise, we're going to stick to that. Actually, we're going to test Godness. That's when it feels like, oh." It's Squeaky bum time, you little in church. You know, when it feels like that with your finances, you know, you're like, let's go the extra percent and see. And I have to tell you, I don't have loads of stories of like these miraculous envelopes coming through my door. I don't, I don't have loads of those stories. But every single month, more than enough, more than enough, far too much probably, more than enough. And then you can give, and you can give again, and you can, get, and the Lord does something in your life and in your finances, and then you replicate that to your kids, and you replicate that to your grandkids, and all of a sudden you just build a legacy of blessing, to be a blessing, to be a blessing, to be a blessing. And wouldn't it be brilliant that that would be the testimony of our town, that somehow in learning to steward our finances, that the testimony over Emmanuel Portadown would be great people, great da da, da. maybe all that nicey-nicey stuff, but wouldn't it be great if it was there was no needy persons amongst them? Let's stand our feet let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just uh, I thank you for your word. Lord, I just, I just pray, Lord, anything that's been me this morning or um, not quite you, Lord, that that, well, that would kind of fall to the ground. It would be forgotten. It would be washed away. Lord, what is, what is of you this morning, Holy Spirit? Would you take that and like, touch our hearts with it? Allow it to penetrate our hearts in a real way. Allow it to change our hearts and transform our hearts. And Lord, just lead us into the story of that's been going on from the beginning of time, Lord, that we would be a people living in the blessing of God in order to overflow with your blessing. So Holy Spirit, bless us bless us today, Lord. Bless all the mothers today and all the women today in this house. Bless our afternoons together as friends and as family. help us to live in the delight of what it is, to know you as Father, and to know even the the mother heart of God as well, to know that, Lord, in our lives um, today and as we go throughout it. So bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great stuff. Please do make sure uh, all the ladies, every single uh, lady, woman, girl that's in here today, make sure you get a rose on the way out and a lovely bar of chocolate. And, like, you can't even... Well, you're blessed to be a blessing, so you do have to share it, okay? But uh, ha- have a great afternoon, and all you do, okay?